All right, as we, as we settle back in, uh, we'll just jump in. Um, <clears throat> Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Um, <clears throat> just as I've said, oftentimes... Uh, this is a time for uh, a therapy session for myself as well. And this week, as I was thinking ahead, or a couple weeks ago, as I was thinking ahead to the upcoming July 4th holiday and thinking about a variety of things, um, I began to think about some of my frustrations with where things are at with our country. And as I thought about that, the more I thought about it, uh, the grumpier I became. And then the Lord and I had a moment of intense fellowship when he suggested that perhaps I was spending more time complaining about our country than I was praying for our country. I didn't have a comeback for that one. Um, so I just want to put it out there and just encourage you to wrestle with it a little bit because I suspect regardless of their political persuasion, regardless of their spiritual inclinations, regardless of their racial or ethnic background, I suspect if you talk to the majority of our the people in this country would say there are things they would like to see be different. And as I think about that passage of Scripture, those of us who serve the one true God, if we are not happy with the way things are in our nation, then it is very simply and completely a call for us to be people of prayer with regard to those things that concern us. And what I'm going to talk about for the next three weeks, those of you who may have seen it in the bulletin, uh, anytime you see me with notes that say 12, you immediately think, oh my goodness, this is going to be a really long message. All right, so I'm telling you now, this is three messages. We're going to do four today four next week and four the following week. And trust me, I do look at the clock from time to time. I know you don't believe that, but I do. And if I don't get to all four, uh, we'll figure it out and we'll make it up another time. But I just want to say 12 biblical prayers for a sweeping revival and spiritual awakening. I will talk more next week about the issue of revival and spiritual awakening. Uh, but I just want to say this is not these 12 prayers. They are not original. They were something that was in my file, but I don't have a clue whom I should give credit to. So I just want to say it's not my stuff. If you don't like it, I own it completely. If you like it, I don't deserve the credit. Uh, and I just encourage you to work through this. I'm never, I've never been one to say you need to pray in a specific fashion or use specific words. So as I work through these four prayers today, I just encourage you to look for the concepts and principles that you could incorporate into your own personal prayer life. There's nothing magical about saying these specific words, uh, but there is something powerful about the spirit uh, that they convey. So again, I just want you to think about those kinds of things today. Um, the first one, uh, again, I'm going to read it now. I'll pray it when I'm done. Holy Father, pray for God's mercy upon our land. Holy Father, I humbly plead for your undeserved mercy upon my life, my church, my nation, and the world. Lord, help us come before you with deep awareness that we deserve your judgment far more than your blessing. By Jesus' blood alone, we plead for your merciful grace to revive and bless us once again. Pretty simple, straightforward language. 
And again, as I've said repeatedly, repeatedly over the past 18 months, as we work through the pandemic, as we figure out what life is like after the pandemic and all of that kind of stuff, um, and maybe this is just the wisdom of age or uh, I don't know, but I realize I have fewer answers, but I have a lot more questions. And I realize that the best thing I have to offer you today, as I mentioned these prayers, is the Word of God. Because Scripture speaks to these things. And I'm going to start today with Psalm 85, uh, verse 4. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Again, these are the kinds of words that need to be upon our lips and upon our hearts and when we think about our nation. And as I've said already, and as I will say repeatedly over the next three weeks, for me, if I'm going to grouse and whine about the state of affairs in our nation, then I need to spend at least as much time with words like this upon my lips, asking God to do what only he can do, and I need to ask him to start with me. It starts with a change in my heart and a change in my perspective, and it starts with me consistently living differently so people can see there is a different and, in my opinion, a better way. So that's the psalmist's perspective. Uh, Daniel puts it this way in chapter 9. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Now, again, can I just say this? I hope you understand. I love our country. Certainly, I would love to see our country be at a different place spiritually, but I am pleased to be a part of the United States of America and to have spent my life here. But we're not pleading for God to work in our country because we're great. We're pleading for him to work because of his great mercy. And we just need to wrestle with that and understand. It's not because we're all that. It's because he's all that. And as long as he can work through us, then we have a place in his plan. But when he does not, it's not in a position to work through us. We need to understand there are consequences. Give ear, O God, and hear, excuse me, give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And again, we just need to grasp and wrestle with some of what that means for us to see that take place in our world again. It has to start with individual Christ followers. It has to impact individual local congregations, denominations, then communities, and then our nation. And we have to see it from that perspective. So... Very simply, I just invite you
to close your eyes and bow your heads, and I'm going to pray that over us. And again, you don't have to repeat it after me, but just soak in what it says. Father, we do pray for your mercy upon our land. Holy Father, I humbly plead for your undeserved mercy upon my life, my church, my nation, and world. Lord, help us come before you with deep awareness that we deserve your judgment far more than your blessing. By Jesus' blood alone, we plead for your merciful grace to revive us, to, to revive and bless us once again. Amen. And before I move on to the next slide, I just want to come back to that deep awareness. I'm going to, I'm going to group us all. Usually I don't group you in with my shortcomings, but I'm going to put us all in there. We have an incredible capacity to see the fault in others more clearly than we see the fault in ourselves. And when I read that, about a deep awareness that we deserve your judgment, that brings a spirit of conviction for me. Because it's a whole lot easier for me to see what needs to be judged in other people's lives than in my own. And I simply want to say, as we're praying for his mercy upon our land, we need to understand it has to start with our own broken heart. Which brings me to the next one. Pray for a spirit of brokenness and repentance. It simply says, Righteous God, please send overwhelming conviction of sin, deep brokenness, and genuine repentance among your people. Again, i got to believe I'm not the only one who is very inclined to pray for other people to be deeply convicted of their sin. Lord, help them see the error of their ways. Just whack them upside the head if you have to. But they need to know how messed up they are. You ever have that with your kids where they're telling you how messed up somebody else is and you're thinking, uh, sweetie, have you looked in the mirror? Uh, I may, again, maybe you guys don't have that issue with God, but I suspect at times he's saying, Steve, uh, take a look in the mirror. Righteous God, please send overwhelming conviction of sin, deep brokenness, and genuine repentance among your people. Those of you that were here a couple weeks ago when we talked about repentance, repentance is being sorry enough about your sin, being broken enough, being convicted enough that you actually do something differently. It's not just feeling bad because you messed up. It's feeling bad enough that you do everything in your power, calling upon the grace and strength and power of the Holy Spirit, to not keep messing up. Righteous God, please send overwhelming... Again, I, I, as I'm reading that, it's like, what was I thinking even having us have this conversation? I mean, do we really want an overwhelming conviction of sin? But will we change if it's not? Righteous God, please send overwhelming conviction of sin, deep brokenness and genuine repentance among your people. Grant to us the true godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Sorry enough to change. 
Fill us with holy fear and reverence for your name. Purify the bride of Christ for his glorious second coming. Please prepare and cleanse us for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And again, that holy fear and reverence. Having spent my entire spiritual experience in the evangelical community emphasizing God's love and acceptance to be reminded that there is also a need for holy fear and reverence for his name that inspires me, compels me, motivates me, encourages me, and helps me to live differently. Not fear in that he's unapproachable, but fear in I don't want to not measure up to the full potential that he has given me. Um, Many of you are familiar with your Bibles and you understand David's experience. And David was incredibly close to God. But he still made some incredibly poor choices, one of which was his sin with Bathsheba. And when God brought that deep brokenness and conviction of sin and motivated him to genuine repentance, he wrote Psalm 51. And I'm just going to share a few excerpts from Psalm 51, starting with verse 3. He says, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. And again, I'm just asking us to be honest with ourselves. Is your sin always before you, or is it the sin of others that's always before you? Which are you most ready to see? I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. In other words, David says, I know that I blew it. He continues in verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. In other words, he's saying, you know what, God? Whatever you have for me, I've got it coming. I deserve it. And my sin wasn't against Uriah. It wasn't against Bathsheba. It wasn't against the people of Israel. My sin was against you, God. And it's interesting because sometimes when people sin toward us, I think we have a tendency to take it more personally than God does. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict when you judge. Skipping ahead to verse 7, he just pleads, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He's acknowledging, yes, I've blown it. But the beauty of God is I don't have to stay there. He can and he will cleanse me if I will but ask and turn. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Again, and I'm not, I'm not trying to project my thoughts or my struggles on you. But I wonder, do I spend more time praying for God to straighten out other people than I do begging him to create a pure heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit in me? Can I just say this? What goes on in my heart has no bearing on what goes on in other people's hearts. 
I need to take care of this heart before I get busy telling God whose heart needs fixing besides mine. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Just a simple thought. That can take place in my heart. He can restore to me the joy of my salvation regardless of what's happening in the world around me. And that's what he calls me to. Proverbs speaks to this. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Second Corinthians, the, the prayer hinted at this. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us pure ourselves, purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence to God. And then what I shared a couple weeks ago from Second Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What I said a couple weeks ago, for those of you that weren't here, if I'm sorry, but I don't change, it just eats me up continually. That's worldly sorrow that leads to death. Godly sorrow is a sorrow that generates change and allows me to move forward in the path that God has for me. <clears throat> Close your eyes as I pray this over us. <clears throat> Father, we pray f- individually. And this is a courageous prayer, Father, for those who choose to. For a spirit of brokenness and repentance. Not brokenness just to stay broken but brokenness that inspires transformation like David demonstrated. Righteous God, please send overwhelming conviction of sin, deep brokenness, and genuine repentance among your people. Grant to us the true godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Fill us with holy fear and reverence for your name. Purify the bride of Christ for his glorious second coming. Please prepare and cleanse us for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. Amen. Pray for boldness, holiness, and power in our pastors. And for those of you that are paying attention to grammar, there is a mistake there where it says grant to him. It actually should be grant to them. Um, That was just a biff on my part that I noticed too late to change. Pray for boldness, holiness, and power in our pastors. Mighty God, please come upon our pastors with deep repentance, dynamic power, and renewed passion for yourself. Grant to them a mighty wall of protection from the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is kind of awkward for me, um, but I'm going to go there anyway. 
I understand these are challenging times for lots of people in lots of different professions. I get that. And I'm not saying pastors are all that, but I am saying for the church to be all God needs it to be in this time, it needs godly leadership. And a part of that leadership is people called into full-time service. And in our world today, the need for pastors to be bold, for them to be holy, and for them to be filled with the power of God is undeniable. It's interesting because one of the things I'm in the process of doing, speaking to my season of life, is I'm purging my files. And I save stuff. Some stuff I save I probably shouldn't have saved. But as I was purging one of my files, I found a letter that someone wrote to me in the mid-90s when I had spoken on a topic related to sexuality and God's standards for sexuality. And it was the first time that I had ever been called a bigot to my face. And it was strongly suggested that I was not fit for service within a Christian church because I spoke what I interpreted, what I perceived to be truth with regard to God's standards. And I looked at the letter, and it was someone who attended our church who was making it clear they were no longer attending our church and suggesting that, again, I should find another line of work. Um, and again, I, I respect they had their opinions. I felt, I, I, I literally, this shows you how long ago it was, I took a cassette, top, a cassette copy of the message, and I took the letter after I blanked out the name, and I took it to a respected leader, and I said, and I gave them my written notes, I gave them a copy of my spoken words, and I gave them the letter. And I said, if I'm wrong, please, please, please tell me. If I could have said it better, if I could have said it differently, if I should have said it differently, please help me, because I, I really did not, not just want to dismiss it and say, oh, they disagree with me, they're a terrible person. Because they're not a terrible person. They just have a strongly different view. I thought, when I found that letter, I thought that was in the mid-90s. What would happen today? What would happen today? How would that blow up on social media? Um, some of you know, obviously, because I'm not on social media anymore. There have been times when people have been posting or tweeting uh, about stuff I said before I've even had a chance to leave the building. Uh, sometimes it's warm, fuzzy stuff. And you share it with me. Sometimes it's not warm and fuzzy stuff. Can I just say, with the shift in our culture, and the, again, I, I've been doing this long enough that there was a time when if you were a pastor, you got special treatment in a good way. That's not always the case anymore. So, to know that if I were to speak on certain topics, there's a good chance that it's going to blow up in a bad way on social media. To still speak truth 
is not an easy thing, and it will not be an easy thing for whoever stands here next. And trust me, you need, every church needs, pastors who are bold and who are holy and who are filled with his power. If you follow church stuff, you may have noticed, it's not new, going all the way back to uh, when television ministries were first becoming a thing. High-profile ministers going sideways and dishonoring God is not a new thing. So not only do they need to be bold, they need to stand by God's standards. So that's a prayer we need to pray. I know Reuben touched on this a couple weeks ago, but from Timothy, uh, uh, what is it? First Timothy chapter, uh, lost my place here. First Timothy chapter three, verse one. Uh, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Personally, if, if I had the chance to rewrite scripture, I would be much more comfortable. It said, uh, whoever aspires to be an overseer, uh, desires a noble task that will be really fun and easy all the time. (laughs) Not so much. Verse 2, he continues, Now the overseer must be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. (sighs) Above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. When I look at that list, faithful to his wife is the easiest one on the list. Above reproach? Golly. How much higher can we set the bar? Temperate? Self-controlled? Respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Second Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Friends, if you know anyone in ministry, including myself, I trust that you are praying for them to have his spirit stir in them. Give them that spirit of boldness, the power, love, and self-discipline. Paul puts it this way. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Friends, if we just rely on our abilities, it's always going to fall short. Some of you have heard me talk before about God's amazing sense of humor. And it's almost without fail. If, if I come with a message that I think is really all that, uh, first of all, nobody's going to be here. I assume you. Attendance is going to be light, and I'm going to leave here feeling like uh, y'all stayed up way too late last night. 
Let's just be honest. Um, But at the same time, I cannot tell you how many times I've left here feeling like I just totally missed it. It was like I should have called in sick. And people say, oh, gosh, that's just what I needed to hear. You know what? Thank you, God. You're awesome. Pray for boldness, holiness, and power in our pastors. Pray with me. Mighty God, please come upon our pastors with deep repentance, dynamic power, and renewed passion for yourself. Grant to them a mighty wall of protection from the flesh and the devil. And and can I just say... um, I have not said this nearly enough. But Father, help us to increasingly pray for you to stir in the hearts of men and women of all ages to heed the call to serve you vocationally. Thank you, Father. Amen. Just with that last one uh, that I prayed added on there it is imperative that we continue to create environments in our churches and again I, I, I've been blessed at least to the most best of my knowledge most of all y'all are pretty supportive of me but we need to elevate the call in the eyes of of our children and our young adults to where it is something that's honorable and something to which they may want to aspire. I'm here, I've told you before, in part because of the prayers of my mother, but also because when we chose to actually enter into a relationship with Christ that is real personal and life-changing, God dropped us into a church where the position of pastoral ministry was highly regarded. And in the season that we were in that church, there were many, many young men and young women who were called into vocational ministry. And that needs to happen today. Because again, there was a time where folks were proud when their kids went into ministry. Now, we may try hard to talk them out of it. Um, and the church needs us. Pray for fervent prayer to sweep our land. Righteous God, grant to us a burning hunger for yourself and a passion for fervent prayer. Help us draw near to you and seek you with all our hearts. Lord, cause us to hunger and thirst for you above all else. Help us to lead our churches to become houses of prayer for all nations. I rarely speak to a Christ follower who does not say, you know, I wish my prayer life were more than it is. And when I look at my ministry, um, what I was just talking about, about people entering into ministry, um, I look back over 40 years and I wonder, could I have done more that would have made my position seem more appealing that young people who attended our church would have been called into ministry or heeded a call into ministry? Could I, should I have done more? And I will tell you, that I will definitely look back and think, what more could I or should I have done to help us be a house of prayer? Um, that's just part of what 
I work through. But as we think about that prayer there, just a couple passages of scripture. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Are we seeking him that way? Are we seeking his intervention in our lives in that fashion? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, I get hungry and thirsty a lot. Just look at me. Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Matthew 21, verse 13. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Because you're not focused on the things you should be focused on. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. Friends, that's what we need to be crying out for. And then finally, James 4.8 Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Again, it's on us if we want him to come near and change our country. It's on us to come near to him. Pray with me. Father, I often wonder what it would look like for a movement of fervent prayer to sweep our land. I read the historical reflections of revivals where that was the case. People stopping in the middle of the workday and having extended prayer sessions with hundreds if not thousands gathered. Righteous God, grant to us a burning hunger for yourself and a passion for fervent prayer. Help us draw near to you and seek you with all our hearts. Lord, cause us to hunger and thirst for you above all else. Help us to lead our churches to become houses of prayer for all nations. Thank you, Father. Amen. Ruben.